coming up on this episode. My kids are 21 and 25, so um, they're a great ego equalizer, I would say, um, from a standpoint, if I, you know, if I come home and I start talking about things at work and, you know, things that I might have done and excited about, my daughter would always say, Mom, you're talking in that work voice again. And that really uh, reminded me that um, she's not quite as impressed with me as I'm impressed with me on, on occasion. <laughs> you're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Thank you all for joining us on another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose. My name is Chris Kiefer, and today I am here with Deanna Palm, the president of the Hillsborough Chamber of Commerce. Thank you for joining us, Deanna. Thank you very much for the invitation. So why don't you go ahead and just give uh, everyone the background on who you are and uh, what it is that you do. All right. So president of the Hillsborough Chamber of Commerce, um, December 1st was the beginning of my 18th year in this role and um, loving it still, having a great time, have been um, prior to coming to the Hillsborough Chamber. I was with the Portland Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce for 18 years. Um, so I started there very young. Nobody needs to do the math. And um, I came from uh, Portland Community College, where I received my associate's degree at the um, young age of 19 years old and started my career in the chamber business. Really, it was a job for me. It was a my first job out of college, very excited about it, but didn't think it was going to be long-term, but it was. I was there for 18 years and got a great um, foundational experience of Chambers of Commerce, every aspect of Chambers of Commerce, but I lived in Hillsborough, and Hillsborough was where I was raising my children, and it was the place where my husband um, owned his own small business, and it was really the place that held my heart. So when there was an opportunity to look at the Hillsborough Chamber and to become a part of that organization, um, I jumped at it. And it's been such a really re rewarding and fulfilling opportunity for me. And it is truly, truly my career. That's awesome. So I didn't, I didn't realize that you have been at the chamber um, for the, or you started at the Portland Chamber right out of school and then jumped into uh, the Hillsborough Chamber. So what did, how did, I'm curious, how did the first job at the Portland Chamber come about? Oh, that is an, it's a really interesting story. I was in at Portland Community College taking a computer course and it was for a specific type of computer. And if I tell you the name of it, I will really age myself. So I won't do that, but it was a very unique specific type of computer. And that's what the Portland Chamber had. And they were looking for someone to um, be their IT technical specialist. And so I was recruited right out of college and actually finished up um, the last part of my associate's degree work, um, going to school at night and working at the Portland Chamber. So um, it was just really sort of fortuitous that I was in that class and that the chamber was, was in the position of uh, recruiting that I landed that job and that role and had the opportunity to really start at um, a very foundational level and work my way up. And when I left, I was vice president of the information systems and operations. Ah, okay. So what, for most people, I actually have a very good understanding of the Chamber of Commerce now that uh, 
from my own business in Hillsborough and then in working with you. But for most people, I feel like they're for the term chamber of commerce is familiar, but what specifically does the chamber in any given city do? What is like, what's your role currently in Hillsborough um, as the Hillsborough chamber? Well, there's actually a saying in the chamber world that if you've seen one chamber, you've seen one chamber. We all do things a little bit different, but I would say that the heart of the work that we do here in Hillsborough is around advocacy for our businesses. So ensuring that we maintain a business-friendly economic environment, regulatory environment, that we work to help promote um, small business startups, large businesses, and a facilitated um, development process so that businesses that want to come here are able to do so in a fairly seamless fashion. Um, And then once they're here, that they're able to grow and expand, that they have a good talent pool, that they have a good transportation infrastructure, that if they need water, utilities, that that infrastructure is in place as well. Uh. So really around advocacy, also around connection. Um, So we build connections and build networks of connections connections so that businesses have the ability to do business with other businesses, um, that they can support each other. And we convene groups together to talk about important community issues. So we don't necessarily have all the solutions, but we know who to bring together to work on a problem and find a solution. I see. So you're kind of like, there's a a few people in Portland that I know that are the, you know, very well connected individuals. Essentially you you the goal for the chamber is to always be or one of the goals I should say is to be that very well connected friend that you have that you kind of turn to and say, "Hey, do you have anyone that could help XY with XYZ?" Is that correct? Absolutely. We try to have a really really broad sphere of influence and influencers. So we need to know who to go to. So we don't have to have all the answers, but we need to know who who could have the answer and who could help um, so that we do a nice handoff when there's a problem that we can't solve ourselves, but that we we know who can help solve a problem. Gotcha. Okay. And then the other thing I'm curious about is how does the, the role of the chamber um, or how has it changed um, in, say, the last two or three years compared to back when you started? And maybe maybe I should first say, is the Hillsborough Chamber and the Portland Chamber, are, you mentioned that everyone does things differently. Were, are those two organizations similar? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the biggest difference is the difference that I noticed going from the Portland Chamber, which was obviously it's a much larger, larger organization. There are a lot of other um, surrounding organizations. In Hillsborough, the Hillsborough Chamber is really seated at every table. So every aspect of the community, we have a voice in. And so that makes it, um, I think, a little more um, in-depth in in terms of our involvement. But that's because we're not as big as like Portland, where they have a lot of other um, supporting organizations. In Hillsborough, um, the Chamber is, is pretty centric to most conversations happening in in our community. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So the the one, if I could rephrase that another way, the biggest difference about for Hillsborough Chamber compared to the Portland one is that you guys are um, because the town is smaller. You're able to have um, 
potentially better access to uh, a, a bigger variety of things than someone that was in the Portland chamber, for example? We just have, you know, there's a lot more tape, many more tables for us to sit around. And there's um, definitely role for the chamber in every community conversation. So whether it's the Hillsborough 2035 and building the community vision, or whether it's um, the um, Jackson Wetlands in terms of uh, preserving that community asset, um, the trail system, the water system, the Hillsborough Airport. Those are just a few mm. examples of where we have been asked to participate and to, to be a part of the conversation. So how is, so um, in Hillsborough in particular, um, how have things changed in the last 18 years that you've been there? Has the, has there kind of been an evolution of and you guys figuring out or honing in on where you guys fit and what is most needed from the chamber? Or have you guys always been kind of the advocate for businesses or maybe that is what has changed in how you advocate for small businesses? I would suggest that it is really the advocacy piece has become more center stage to our work and our initiatives. Um, we're obviously still involved in creating networking events and opportunities for our businesses to get to know each other and build their, you know, their contact base. And that's obviously still important. However, the, the work that we do in, in terms of um, advocacy and initiatives, policy development, weighing in on regulatory decisions, that's really become important because everyone is really time starved. And they, it's a lot of different places you have to be to stay on top of these conversations. And the business community in Hillsborough, I think, counts on the chamber to be a part of those conversations and to let them know when their voice is most needed and um, to, to really set the stage for their involvement. I gotcha. Okay. And then the other, I'm just Hillsborough in general is such a I don't know. I'm sure there you get you probably know some statistics on this, but I've always thought because um, I grew up in Hillsboro for twenty, how long was that? Twenty four years before my wife and I uh, moved to Central Oregon, where we're at now. But Hillsboro has always been um, kind of like the biggest. I want to say it's the biggest little city, but I think that Reno claimed that name. <laughs> <laughs> but there, you know what I mean? Like the, as far as like a suburb goes. There's some major, major, like internationally known businesses with Nintel, Nike, and um, I Solar World, another one. But how how are yeah? It's just I guess I, I feel like isn't Hillsboro a fairly unique uh, location nationally for and and also for the Hillsboro Chamber of Commerce to be a part of? I think it well, of course, I think it is very unique and very special um, because we do have that really. Um, deep economic development in our own backyard. So we have great global companies. We also have a very charming small town flavor and feel, um, which is really hard to maintain when you have 101,000 people. Um, it's hard to maintain that, that sort of hometown charm, but I think we've done a really good job of doing that. And I think that is attributed a lot to the, our visioning process that we um, started it back in 1999, and it's been something that we've been really um, 
cautious and careful about maintaining it. And it's not just a document that sits on the shelf. It's one where community members really do participate and they have a real strong voice in what do they want to see in terms of the future of Hillsborough, whether it's the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years. And they're really working together to build that collaborative vision and an Organizations take responsibility on implementing action items. So it really is sort of a living document. And I think that, I think sensitivity to and really um, maintaining um, that, that vision is how we've been able to grow at such a rapid rate and have really such big companies, but also maintain that really nice hometown charm. So that's a... Uh... I didn't realize that the, and, and what's that document called that you're referencing? It, well, it started out as the Hillsborough 2020 back in 1999. And oh, then okay. we accomplished all of our tasks. So now it's called Hillsborough 2035. I gotcha. Okay. And that's, that is a doc, that is a, this living document that the Hillsborough chamber kind of spearheads, or is this the city of Hillsborough or who's, who's the one that kind of owns it? Truly, it's a community document. And so the funding for the actual consultants to walk through the process, it was funded by the city. However, um, through there are probably 50 organizations that are that own leading partner, leading partner um, responsibilities. So we have responsibility for action items and our, and the chamber has probably 20 to 30 action items that we're responsible for. Other organizations like the school district, the airport, um, the healthcare, Tuality, Kaiser, they, we all have different um, action items that we're responsible for to help us, you know, really have the, the vision come to fruition. And oh, so, wow. And every year we do an sort of an annual report and we res- we report back to the community what what we've accomplished and what's next. And that is also a document that goes before the city council and they um, accept the report from uh, the steering committee. So it's really become something that is important to the community in terms of where do we want to go? Where do we think we need to make some improvements? So there's a lot of community outreach, a lot of surveys that happen, a lot of community dialogue that happen uh, over the year to ensure that we're building a foundation and that we're also reflecting the community needs as our community changes. Ah, that's super cool. I didn't, it's funny that being in Hillsborough for that long, I'm completely unaware that something, I mean, it makes sense. It's kind of like an, an economic development committee, sort of, or maybe that's a piece of this. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yep. There's a piece of it that talks, talks to economic development. There's a piece that talks to sustainability, um, health and wellness, education, uh, so all sorts of aspects of our community, which really allows then any community community member to sort of find a place and a space in the vision where they want to participate. Mm, wow, that's super cool. And it's one of those. I feel like the more time, like the more I um, have conversations with whole variety of people, I feel like uh, you. I realize more and more that the great things in our world, whether it's like a very tangible thing like a bridge or just like the feel of a community, like what you're talking about, it doesn't happen by accident. 
it's a very intentional, uh, you know, process that has usually taken place over a long period of time before anyone realizes it, or, you know, the majority of the population realizes it, it seems like. Oh, I would totally agree with that. I think that, you know, much of our success is based on, you know, previous leaders' courage, right? So our water system was developed um, many, many years ago, and that's why we have the kinds of companies we have in Hillsborough. So really a thoughtful process, and it wasn't, um, you know, it is by design, and that's really important that we maintain that vision. And that's why I think it's really important that it's written down and that there's an actual document so that it can be passed from generation to generation. Obviously, there, there are going to be changes and updates and, and, and reflections of what the current um, trends are and the current requirements and needs, but it also really celebrates the history of how we got here. That's awesome. What do you, um, I'm going to have to look this up. The It might have been Dwight Eisenhower uh, that said, Plans are um, useless, but planning is indispensable. <laughs> That's saying, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? It seems like you're saying things change greatly sometimes. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, North Hillsboro is a great example. So North Hillsboro is where we have our large industrial area. And, you know, we're currently in the process of planning the infrastructure and making sure that as companies want to come in here to Hillsboro and grow, that we're ready for that. And so that takes pre-planning. You ha The infrastructure that needs to be delivered in that area is um, expensive and it's time consuming. So looking out ahead of when that economic opportunity is going to happen and having the infrastructure in the ground and available and ready and provisioned, really, really important because uh, if a company's looking for a site, they don't want to be told it's going to be three years. They want to, you know, it's probably, you know, two years at the max or 18 months time to market is an imperative for business. And so it's our responsibility to ensure that our community is ready for that. Otherwise, it's a really big missed opportunity. Oh, wow. So and I'm now I'm just trying to think back. Do you have an example? Because this has happened before, right? With some of these major businesses, where you guys the the, plan, the planning and the prep ended up paying off when a business decided to create like their their shop or, you know, their operations here? Right. Well, I think that, you know, Intel is a great example of, you know, we they came, I believe, in 19, I want to say 1984. I hope I get that right. Um, in, and now they've grown um, to a big company. Um, I think it's, you know, thousands of employees, which means a lot of economic development being generated in Hillsboro and making sure that we had a great water system, that we had a great power system, all of those assets that companies, not just Intel, but many companies need for their production and for their manufacturing, knowing that, that, that that's in place, that there's a redundancy to it, that it's been thoughtfully contemplated what their needs will be, and that we've really scaled to that level is really important. And I think it does make us stand out among, you know, other com competitors. Mm, wow. Yeah, just I'm looking at Intel's website right now. It looks like their first campus was in Aloha in 1974. 
And 74, first, not 84. But then, so 10 but, years off. but then it says uh, 1982 was the first building at its Jones Farms uh, location. So technically, I guess Aloha, is Aloha part of Hillsborough? No, Aloha is an, an unincorporated Washington County. Okay. First building in Hillsborough seem, or sounds like, uh, if this is correct, is 1982. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So I, I think it's really um, been a lesson for us as an as a community to think about those things. Transportation system is another, um, you know, part of our infrastructure that takes a long period of planning. It takes a lot of, you know, cobbling together of funding methods, whether it's federal funding, whether it's local funding, and and doing that whole process and going through the permitting process really takes a long time. And so you can't decide that you're going to, you know, make a major change in your transportation infrastructure and expect that to happen, you know, over six months. It takes much longer than that. So really being, um, having the long view of where you want your community to go. And I think that, you know, our city, um, we've had great leadership in our mayors and city council. We have had great city managers and great city staff that really have, they get that. And they're really constantly making sure that we're staying where we need to be so that we can pivot appropriately for where the economy is going. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you, what's the part of your job that you find most interesting? I mean, if for being in the chamber for, um, you, I probably shouldn't say this number out loud for 36 years. Uh, you obviously like it. It's obviously something that you mentioned. It started as a job and now it is something that you are very passionate about and have chosen to stay in and make it a career. What is, what was the kind of the driver or the thing that has kept you interested for so long? I think it's the ability um, and the opportunity to work with um, folks in the business community and at the government level that are equally passionate about what they're doing and that we're all working together and collaboratively. And it's not about, you know, who gets credit. It's about the fact that you're doing something that's benefiting the community that, and I have an opportunity to work with so many people that have that in their hearts that it's just so rewarding. It's, um, it's a pleasure to get up and come to work every day. And every day is different. And so the variety of um, utilizing different parts of my brain every day is um, very stimulating. And, you know, there's no, I'm never sitting in my chair thinking, what should I do next? There's always something coming at me and that's good. That's awesome. And then the other thing that my wife has made me very aware of and um, just has been a very big advocate and made me an advocate, just as far as women in the workplace go, um, which, I mean, there's probably dozens of directions that this could possibly um, go, but I'm just curious in general, or maybe there's specific examples that have really struck you. What, um, how have you experienced um, an evolution or change um, in the the broad topic again? And we can drill down into specific things with women um, in the workplace and in uh, leadership roles potentially, or maybe the treatment of women. But obviously, I feel like from my perspective, it seems like something that is being talked about more frequently. Um, that 
um, if I'm being honest as a guy, if I wasn't married to such a wonderful woman, I probably would embarrassingly, like now I can say I'd probably just be oblivious to it. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm curious, what is the, what, what's your experience been on how that has changed over time? Well, um, I'm grateful to her for her advocacy. I think that's awesome that she's constantly reminding you that, um, you know, that women do have a place um, in um, in leadership roles in the workplace. Um, I will give you an example here at the chamber. We have 17 employees and we're it's an all female crew. We're an all female work for, workforce and um, we get stuff done. We get a lot of stuff done. And we have um, we have a lot of fun together, and I do think it's really important that women have roles in leadership and that their voices are heard and respected. And as long as I've been in this business, which you know you quoted thirty six years, and I thought, oh gosh, that's a big number. Um, I've never really experienced anything other than respect for my voice at the table, and I I don't know if that's unique. Um, or if it, but that's just been my experience. And so I've just had the good fortune of working with really phenomenal people that, um, have mentored me, shared their gifts with me, um, that have complimented me, lifted me up and, um, and certainly not done anything to tear me down or diminish my voice. And so that's been, I think, a great experience. I do know that that isn't everyone's experience. And so cautious about making sure that um, I'm paying that forward and making space and room at any table that I'm at um, for the next female voice at the table. That's that's very cool. Um, And one of the, I guess I'm curious, Another uh, follow-up question on that. Did you have to go through a period of like where you realized that you were, it was maybe a bigger deal? Because I'm assuming while everyone has been very supportive of you, did you, I'm assuming a lot of the accounts or councils or steering committees that you've been on, they were probably, I'm guessing, male dominant or has that not been the case? That has been the case. It's absolutely true. And um, and I have a, a couple of, you know, groups here at the chamber. One of them is a developer's real estate roundtable. And that is very male dominated. And but I, of course, have probably, you know, four or five females that join me in that meeting, which is always great to see. But, you know, we, we are obviously um, the minority in that room. Um, but I it's interesting that there's a certain um, skill set that we have and certain information that we have that um, they'll look to us uh, to to provide. And so it's very respectful, but it is something you do walk in and you notice, um, you know, gosh, right. it's 90 percent. men. And that's what I was curious if the because uh, I, I guess just from talking to um, Natalie, my wife, she Natalie had said um, she's now 27 and I feel like in the same way for me that I, you kind of have the mental development and growth um, and just kind of how you carry yourself and everything. Um, do, do you remember having to, um, like it was a bigger deal for you than it was for anybody else, if, that, if I'm saying that correctly? And kind of like, I'm just thinking back on times that I've been a minority in a given situation, whether it's from age or 
um, race or uh, religion or whatever it is, it's always intimidating. But I feel like usually, not always, but more often than not, it has been in my own head um, that's and it causes me to act differently when maybe no one else even like cared or, or said anything about it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think that's all just around um, that anyone would feel from a standpoint of confidence. So, you know, I remember when I first started here at the Hillsborough Chamber and um, I'm I'm kind of uh, petite, so I'm like four foot 11. So I'm not a big person and I, I don't have a really loud voice either. And a lot of times, you know, I would have people telling me to speak up. And I think it was really from a standpoint of then realizing that um, that I had to amplify my voice um, to be seen and heard. And so that has been a challenge for me. And part of that um, speaking softer was what I recognized as a lack of confidence in myself. And that what I said, what what was coming out of my mouth, I wasn't really too confident about. So um, just with age, education, learning um, and building my own confidence, then, you know, I I can sit in a room with anyone. And if it's a topic that I have um, information or knowledge about, I can confidently, um, you know, share that. And so that's just been an experience. And like I said, just getting more confidence in myself. That's awesome. You know, I think that's a good example that basically every, or if you're trying to speak on, uh, something, anyone in general, um, tries to speak on something that they are not as, uh, well read in or educated in, obviously there's, uh, well, actually I'm not sure how people are able to do that. (laughs) If there are people out there that can just confidently, um, speak on anything when usually even the very well-known people and public figures, they have the the rooms that and the you know the games so quote unquote that they attend because they're knowledgeable in those fields or areas and they don't go to the other ones. Right, and I think that that that's one of the challenges with um, our industry and the chamber industry that um, you have to know a lot of stuff about a lot of things, and um, so that's you know been it's always a challenge to. Um, know about what's happening in the political environment, what's happening in the regulatory environment, what's happening, you know, at the city council, what the what the metro's doing. There's just so much information that people look to you, and so you really do have to spend a lot of time um, doing homework, doing a lot of reading, attending a lot of meetings, and just sort of filling up that information bank on a weekly basis. Yeah. Jumping from the topic of women to now families, how tell me a little bit about your family and how you mentioned that was one of the things that drew you back to Hillsborough. Is that, is that correct? Correct. Yes. So I have um, two two children. Well, first of all, I will tell you that I've been married, and I'm going to get this wrong. I believe it's 32 years. Um, my husband and I um, grew up together out in Banks. Oregon. And so we started dating when we were sophomores in high school and we've been together ever since. And we have two children. We have um, a son, Zachary, who's 25 and a graduate of Oregon State University, go Beavs. And we have a, a daughter who is 21 and uh, Ray Allen. And right now she is in Thailand um, studying at Le Cordon Bleu um, cooking school. Oh, nice. And 
Yeah. Well, I miss her. This has been the first time she's been away from the holidays. So that's been tough. Um, But so that's my family and uh, born and raised in Western Washington County. So have been here a long time and uh, really love the area. It's grown and uh, really just appreciate the fact that uh, we've been able to raise our family here. And I, I tell people that, you know, I get up and do this work every day is so that I can help contribute to a community where my kids want to raise their kids so that I don't have to travel as a grandparent. That's awesome. And then just a side note about Banks. Did we are, did we talk about this before? Did you go to Banks Elementary and High School or did you and your husband? My, my husband went to Banks um I think he went to elementary. I went to a, a parochial school, St. Francis in Roy. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. from first to eighth grade. And then I went to um, high, Banks High School. And I uh, met okay. my – yeah, and I think he, he went – he would lived in Beaverton for a little while, but I think he did um, maybe from third grade on in Banks. Uh, yeah, because I think you – we maybe have talked about this in other times that we chatted, but my dad was – the PE teacher at Banks Elementary for like 30, uh, 34, right. 35 years. I That's totally right. forgot about that. Well, we and your husband's name is Palm? It is. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. He, we, cause we, I lived in Banks, uh, the little development behind the elementary school there um, from like 2000 until 2000, or my family lived there from 2000 till 2000 and. 14 or 15 but anyways um yeah so i remember going out to banks back in like what well, it would have been like 95 or so uh driving out to uh um go to some pe classes when i had school off to go hang out with my dad for the day and climb the rope and whatnot i love <laughs> so, that <laughs> so you have or having two kids um and you mentioned your husband has his own business. One of the things that um, I'm becoming more um, aware of and trying to be more intentional, although it's hard to know in what ways I need to be intentional yet. But Natalie and I had our first daughter, Elliot, um, about a year or how she's now 13 months. So just over a year ago. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. It's been a wild 12 or 13 months, but it's been super fun. Um how have you balanced, or I guess maybe a more interesting question, what has been difficult about raising a family while having um, both you and your husband be in, you know, very professional and, and I'm assuming very demanding uh, as far as t- your time goes? Um, how have you guys balanced that? Well, it's tricky. I will say that um, certainly my husband and he he owned his own small small business and he doesn't any longer he works for he's a landscape contractor but now he works for another landscape contractor but when he owned his own business was really when my our kids were growing up they were little and um they had you know daycare drop off and doctor's appointments and those kinds of things and because of the fact he owned his own business he had a bit more flexibility um so we could trade off more than probably um you know a lot of people have the opportunity to do that so i'm really cognizant of the fact that um especially the work that i do at the chamber thinking about the fact that um just even the start of meetings so when i first came to the to the hillsborough chamber 18 years ago our board meetings were at 7am and mm. you know uh 
I had I had little ones and so I that meant that I would be here at 6:30 and um at least by 6:30. So I'm like if you want me to attend this board meeting we're going to have to start him at 7:30 <laughs> because right, right. it was just the differential between those 30 minutes and getting two, you know, small children up and ready and out the door and to go to daycare and then to daycare and to, to school, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm cognizant about the fact that, you know, if you have, um, if, if you want female leadership and they're, you know, they have small children that you have to provide some flexibility because there are some needs that are, that, you know, that they are balancing. And so it is a struggle. And uh, I tried not to miss, you know, important dates for my kids in terms of school functions and those kinds of things. But there were, you know, a lot of times when um, I wasn't, I didn't get home at night, you know, till later because I was at a city council meeting or I was at an event or activity. Um, So keeping, there are some demands, but you try to also balance that with, you know, when you're, when you're there to be ever present and, um, you know, 18 years ago, probably the technology wasn't as intrusive in our lives as it is today. Um, But making sure that you, you know, take that time to put the phone away and check, you know, you can check the email in, you know, another hour, let it sit and spend time and be present. Hmm. Yeah, that's actually, this is your, just what you mentioned about meeting times. Um, That's another, that's another thing that I hadn't, I don't know if I ever thought about that. Basically the inherent just, and it's not even like intentional, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like bias or it's like, you're not, it's not intended to make it difficult for people with, with kids or families, regardless of male or female. Um, but just that there are certain things that just happen in our world that and always have for whatever reason, um, that, uh, small shifts in just awareness or thinking, um, I'm sure everyone was, it wasn't that big of a deal to shift the meeting 30 minutes, which made it a huge, made a huge difference for you and probably other people that had kids, I would think. Absolutely. And I think it's really, you know, just scanning the environment and doing it and balancing that because the other piece of that is a lot of the, I mean, the folks that sit around my boardroom table, they're volunteers. So um, knowing that they need to get to their business um, so that they can make money is important to them as well. And it needs to be important to me to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, asking them to take too much time out of their their day um, really is, is an economic imperative for them. So it's a balancing act and it's a give and take. And you do that at home and you do that at work. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, yeah, that's very cool. I think that that's similar to... Um... Uh, just, I think I would imagine that everyone, you just kind of look at the hand that you have and see how you need to play your cards as a couple, um, to juggle those things. Cause Natalie and I definitely do similar stuff. Um, so that's cool. Schedule that hangs on the wall, really important, right? Yes, exactly. And then that's the other thing that's going to be interesting, um, moving forward is just the, like you're saying technology, um, and basically the, um, the ability to always potentially or theoretically be able to respond to an email um, and, you know, whether deciding whether or not you should or if you want to be known as someone uh, that responds to an email at nine o'clock at night or whatever. Um, 
but sometimes, you know, the, like there's, you just have so much to get to that the, we, like the, the late hours in the evening are a convenient time to get to that. Um, have you, have, that's, I guess I am curious, have you ever intentionally, um, used any tricks or things to, at any point in your career, like I've heard people say that there's software that you can basically, um, have a bunch of emails prepared and quote unquote sent, but they don't actually leave your outbox until, you know, six in the morning. So it looks as if you were not spending, uh, you know, 10 o'clock to midnight, which I have a number of times trying to just get caught up on email, um, or other things with like being intentional about, you mentioned having home time when you're present with your family. Have you ever had to, um, make any intentional decisions on that front? I think it's been a learning experience for me in understanding that there's really not an expectation that I'm available 24 hours a day. And so I'm kind of realistic about the fact that if I'm, you know, available to answer an email at eight o'clock at night, I'll do that. Um, but if I'm not, I don't feel bad about letting it sit. And I think when I go on, like on vacations, you know, my out of office response says I'm unable to respond until this date. So being real clear about that. And I know that there's I see a trend of companies that are, you know, saying to their employees, you know, not only do we don't want you to answer email and off hours, we actually, you know, we forbid you to do that because we they they really want to encourage that um, that people do unplug because they do find an uptick in productivity with folks that are taking time for themselves that are enjoying life um, that are taking the refresh opportunity and it really is sort of that walking away and not thinking about it and it's a process you know it's a process where you have to really be diligent about not letting yourself slide back in to, you know, being with your family, but thinking about that project you have to, or that presentation you have to deliver tomorrow, uh, because, you know, really that isn't, that isn't a complete disconnect. You're still in there, but I think it's really about being present, present in what you're doing. And you have to be intentional about that. That's very good advice. Do you think of yourself more as a entrepreneur or a business owner? And I guess maybe the better or the follow-up would be, is there a difference or, or how do you see those as two different terms? You know, I, I have never really considered myself um, a business owner because really we're supported by the business community. So, um, you know, the, the members that we have in our organization really, in my opinion, own the organization. And so I'm really just the chief executive officer that makes sure that the lights stay on and um, that the, the people that are here and, and are working are happy to be here. So that's what, you know, but and from a business owner, entrepreneur, um, you know, I, I guess I don't see a huge difference. Um, and I think entrepreneurs are, are, you know, folks that just really they want to start something from the very beginning and the bottom and build it up and um, and grow it. And I see business owners wanting to do that as as well. I mean, it's really about um, building to a capacity in which they feel fulfilled and in which they're reaching their goals. Hmm. And what has been the most exciting project that you've been a part of or worked on um, at, at your time there? Oh, my goodness. 
Um, there have been so many uh, really exciting things that have happened in Hillsboro that we've um, we've had a role in. Uh, we've been privileged to be a part of, whether it's a, a Intel expansion program, whether it's you know the Civic Center when it opened up. You know, there's so many different things. I would say, you know, personally, my greatest achievement is um, being on the board of Portland Community College, um, and my I served time as or served as um, the chair of the board for a two-year period, and that was um, personally the most rewarding experience because my associate's degree is from Portland Community College, and it was the way for me to really. Um, pay that forward to that organization. And my husband actually is a graduate of Portland Community College as well. And he has his degree in landscape technology and, and he's a landscape technician. So um, we have a real strong affinity to, to that community college. And it's it was just been sort of a huge pleasure to be able to serve in that capacity. So personally, that's been a really um, unique opportunity. And I, I I look out at the graduates every June and I think, you know, which one of you is going to come up on the stage and take my seat, right? And hope that it's someone that's looking at um, their opportunities in a leadership capacity. One thing I'm always, uh, again, it's just becoming more top of mind. Um, you, both you and your husband having successful careers, um, and in the middle of them, how how do you, um, from the from your kids' perspective, um, is there? I'm trying to think of how even to phrase this. Like you, um, it's not like you are the. Um, how, how do you how do you make sure that your kids feel empowered to be who they want to be and who are meant to, who they're meant to be, um, and not feel like overshadowed by any of the success that you or your husband has had, um, but also be, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of interested in you being, um, once you got onto the board of Portland Community College or any of the other events or, or seats that you've held, um, how do you um, celebrate that? And I might be projecting just my own insecurity of like, how do I get excited about my own accomplishments as a professional without like putting or making my kids feel, um, uh, what's the word? You know, does that does that make sense? Well, you know, it's been interesting. Um, like I said, my kids are 21 and 25. So um, they're a great ego equalizer, I would say, um, from a standpoint, if I, you know, if I come home and I start talking about things at work and, you know, things that I might have done and excited about, my daughter would always say, Mom, you're talking in that work voice again. And that really uh, reminded me that um, she's not quite as impressed with me as I'm impressed with me on, on occasion. <laughs> so they're grounding. They're very grounding. And um, I think it's really about, um, you know, their success and their passion is going to be different than mine. And But I think it's really about um, saying that's just fine and that's, perfect and it's and it's where you want to be and where you need to be and that makes it great and celebrating whatever their interests and passion is um, is I think really important and and that 
also has a pay it forward because they will learn to model that behavior with others. And I think making sure that we're modeling, you know, the behavior of celebrating accomplishments and assisting when maybe things don't go right, but never tearing down, always lifting up. Um, and that can be done um, in a number of different ways. But I think that's really important. If you were to go back or you could have given yourself advice when you were in your mid-20s, um, you know, in your career or, you know, you're out of college and you're, you've been working for a little while, um, a lot of the people that – it seems like a lot of the friends that I know um, and that are in my age – I'm 28 right now – um, there's like a lot of pressure to feel like you have it all figured out or you have your career, you know, outlined from what you're going to do now to when you retire, which isn't the case for most people I'm realizing. Um, but what advice, and it doesn't necessarily need to be answering that question, but what's like some of the, the big things that you've learned that you wish you could tell yourself back when you were um, in your early to mid 20s? Wow. Um, I think one of the things um, is looking at sort of where we're at today in our, you know, our world, our society, and knowing that there's um, a lot of uh, student debt and making sure that, you know, you're investing in your education appropriately so that you're doing, you know, you're moving forward with your plans in a way that allows you to um, still experience the American dream and that the whether whatever credential degree, whether it's an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, a, you know, a, a, a certification to become a welder, that whatever those choices are, they're ones that um, you're thinking about in terms of how does it move me forward? What are the economic opportunities for me? What What's my investment have to be? And how long will that it take me to pay that investment off? And being really cognizant about thinking about you know, what are the things that I want to do? And is this path that I'm on, you know, leading me in the most efficient and effective way to achieving those goals? And so I think, you know, when I look back on my trajectory, you know, like I said, I was 19 years old when I graduated from, from PCC and was working full time um, and I haven't really stopped working full time since then. Um, I'm not sure that I would have done it as quickly. I might have given myself that gap year. I hear stu you know people talking about gap years, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, give me a gap year. Um, so I might have been a, a little more relaxed. I'm sort of been on this, um, you know. I like to work and so I've, I've worked, um, you know, a lot. And, um, so yeah, I, I think I might've just been a little more relaxed earlier. You're saying earlier in your career. Yes. When I was, yes. Mm. When I was younger, I might've, you know, not been so, um, like I said, working a full-time job, um, at 19 years old, I might've given myself a gap year, but, um, but I wouldn't be here today if I had done that. Mm. So. Um, you know, I think that's more just um, sort of dreaming of what that must be like for people that choose to do that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and it could be. I always wonder if the um, there. It's easy to uh, even for me to. I'm thinking about things I potentially would have done differently, um, and you never know. Like you said, how what experiences would you not have that you are very grateful of now? Had you done things, you know, in a different way back then, um, and there's, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting thing to ponder. Um, do you think you ever you will ever pursue another career, um, or um, will you continue to work in the chamber of commerce until you retire? Oh my goodness, such a big question. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm really cognizant about um, not overstaying my welcome, and you know, it's always my dream to um, make sure that. I'm invited to my own going away party and that they don't have it after I'm gone because that means I stayed too long. So <laughs> it is something that's important to me to make sure that I'm still relevant to the conversation. Um, I'm not ready to leave today, but it is, um, like I said, it's something that um, I want to make sure that I, I leave at the right time and that it's um, something where it's a, a positive um, and so I don't know. I really, I don't know that answer. And, but I, I'm happy where I'm at today. That's awesome. And what is your, I, I think I, um, if you were to separate, I'm sure that when you're a part of something, um, for, uh, in a, any substantial amount of time you become, and I, I almost feel like my purpose, um, kind of molds and changes to some degree based on what, um, the goals or purposes of my company, especially, um, you mentioned you're not a business owner per se, but you've been involved in the chamber for long enough that I'm curious, what is your purpose, um, as Deanna Palm outside of the chamber? Well, I think, um, it's really to participate and be a part of, um, the community and to be an additive, whatever that is. And, um, I, and to have children that, like I said, really want to, um, want to stay close to us and, and build their families. And, and that it's an opportunity for my husband and I to participate in their families and be a part of, of their world. Yeah. It's, it's, it's important to me to stay involved in any capacity that I am moving forward in Hillsborough. Um, I just really feel like I've got, um, you know, a huge investment and I want to be here to participate and to assist wherever, wherever I can. That's awesome. Um, and then the last, these are just recommendation questions. Um, that I ask every guest, what top, what are your top three book recommendations um, or, you know, what are your three favorite books, um, in either recent past or all time? It's up to you. Well, I always like, um, Simon, uh, Simon Sinek. Was that right? Simon Sinek. Is yep. Simon Sinek. Yep. Love him. Um, and, uh, there's a, another book that's called, um, is it like breathe with, without air, breath without, without air. Um, it's about, um, a man that's a, a doctor that's dying from cancer and it's his sort of um, his last 
conversation. Oh, when uh, is that when breath becomes air? When breath becomes air. Thank you very much. Yep. Loved that book. And it was one that, um, you know, I'm sure that people are saying, why is she not talking about business books? But, you know, I found that that to be um, just, it's always nice to read something that has um, a definite story to tell. So I like that. Um, and I, I actually read uh, my my daily routine is getting up and reading the news every day. And here's my, my secret at night, I read romance novels. Um, so that's <laughs> my thing and it keeps me balanced. So talking about a balance, that's my balance. That's awesome. Yeah. I have read, uh, that when breath becomes there, that's a very, um, it's amazing for someone cause I want to say he's a neurosurgeon or some was like, a neurosur- rid- ridiculous yeah. level of education. Um, but yeah, that's, that is a very good book. Um, and I think he had brain cancer too. Yeah. It was like, it was yeah, like weird, a similar uh, thing that he had helped patients yeah. with. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And favorite movie of all time. Oh my gosh. Um, I would say, uh, the last, the last of the Mohicans. The last of the Mohicans. I've never heard of that one. Oh my gosh. Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm looking it up right now. Okay, I see it. Daniel Day-Lewis and Madeline Stowe. Yep. Oh, awesome. 1992. So I this is my little... I don't know if you ever use IMDb to look up movies before you uh, watch them. No. But it has user, it has user ratings. Um, I've, I've become obsessed with uh, ratings. And it's funny because every... The last several guests that I've had on have suggested movies that I'm just never heard of. And I, I like movies. I watch a, a fair amount of them. But my metric um, on whether or not I'll watch a movie is that it has to be above a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, and so your movie, guess what, is a 7.8, oh which is actually very, that's a very good movie. Like if you, if there's a movie that's in the eights, that's like, I think the best movie on here out of every movie in history is like a 8.9 or a 9.1, but a 7.8 movie is very, it's very good. It's beautiful so. settings and beautiful music, um, which is why I was in, in, I loved it. That's awesome. I just added it to our watch list. So Excellent. Well, with a 13 month old, you've got a lot of time to watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> Late right. at night. We're, it's, we're actually wondering at what point do we need to... Uh, like how old is the child before you need to start being extra aware of what movies you're watching? Um, <laughs> and I feel like my wife looked into it. I, I forgot what she read somewhere that it's actually a lot younger than we thought. So we were like, oh, no, because we have all these TV shows and things. We're like, oh, maybe we need to start watching Disney and all those other movies. But anyways. Yeah, that's a whole new life. Um, yeah, exactly. So um, how can the very last thing before we go, how can people get in touch with you? What's your preferred method of contact if someone has a question or wants to you know, say thanks or, or something? They can email me at Deanna, D-E-A-N-N-A-P at hill, H-I-L-L chamber dot O-R-G. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Deanna, for taking the time out to do this. Thank and you. Uh, this was really fun. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Find the podcast on Instagram at pursuitofpurpose.pod. Um, and you can also uh, visit the website, chriskiefer.net. 
um, for a full list of episodes and some other articles and things that I post. Don't forget to check the show notes for links and other articles or materials that were mentioned in the show. And thank you very much for your attention. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.